Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is both practical and contemporary, that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. All too often, the passage that we just read today is broken up from its context, and we, we tend to forget that this is actually part of a broader, wider context. Um, this is Jesus still talking to Nicodemus, by the way, and uh, we, we'll address it a little more in a moment. But for the moment, let's remember one thing. There are many people who try to dismiss the Bible, and they try to put it down. They want to destroy it. They want to get rid of it because they think that the light of nature is sufficient. Well, let me ask you a question. Have the, wor the fire worshippers of India cutting themselves until blood comes out of their bodies, have they found the light of nature be to be sufficient? What about the cannibals of Borneo and they slaughtering some people? Do they find the light of nature sufficient? What about the Chinese woman with her foot cramped and deformed into a hoof? Has she found the light of nature sufficient? What about our neighbors, those who are struggling? with life, those who wonder if life is really worth living, those who are considering on a daily basis whether they should just get over it. Do they find the light of nature to be sufficient? You see, all the pagodas of superstition, all the tortures of Brahma, all the infanticide of the Ganges, all the blood wheels of the juggernauts, all the desperation and the struggles of our streets and our neighbors' homes, they all prove one thing, that that light of nature is not sufficient. We need another light. We need a greater light. You look at the stars, and the stars are beautiful, but in the darkness of a soul of an individual, that light doesn't do anything. You look at flowers, they're beautiful, they're sweet, they're marvelous, they're great, but they will not heal the wounds that people carry around with themselves. What we desperately need is a savior. What we desperately need is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. We need a new birth, a birth that is brought about by the Savior. We need the Savior and the only true light of the world. But all too often, that light is portrayed to the world as dull or dark or mean or undesirable or boring. Are we in that light? Do we realize how untrue that statement is, that it is dull and boring and mean? Or do we believe the lies of Satan that started long ago with Adam and Eve, when Satan deceived him into thinking that God wasn't really the way he seemed to be. Do we love the deeds of darkness more? But that's the warning we find in this passage. That's the context that we find in this passage, and that's what we need to look at today. So again, Jesus was talking with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the leaders of Judah. And he had just finished talking 
to him about the need for the new birth. And now in this passage, we find the implications of what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Notice what those implications are. First of all, we find that the object of the love of God is the world. But now I think that our reader should bleep because what do we mean the world? Isn't the world hostile to God? Isn't the world an enemy of God? Isn't scripture says that the love of the world is not the love of God and yet how can God love the world? Well, he does. The object of the love of God is a world that is in hostile antithesis to God. It's opposed to God. It's created. You see, God did not create the world as something opposite to himself or in antithesis to himself or set to be in or intended to be hostile to him, or abandoned to to itself. God did not create the world evil, and God did not abandon the world at all. But God, the true light, the source of life itself, was and is and will be a present and vividly sufficient presence, sufficient light, sufficient life, all in all, for all. The problem is that humanity doesn't know that, and in some cases humanity doesn't want to know. In contrast to God, the world is in total darkness, and as such, it does not understand God, because darkness cannot understand light. But despite all that, this world, as hostile as it is, as enemy, as an enemy as it is, as supposed as it is to God, as in darkness as it may be, this world is still the object of God's love, because that's what Jesus Christ said, for God so loved the world. Now, every time I read that passage, somehow, the concept that I always heard it outside of its context strikes me. Because I always thought it was the words of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I forget that those are the words that were uttered by Jesus Christ himself to Nicodemus. He himself said, for God so loved the world that he, have his, he gave his only begotten son, myself, gave me. I am giving myself for this world. And if you look at it from that perspective, in that context, it kind of makes a difference, doesn't it? Despite everything, we are still the object of God's love. Let's not make mistakes. God doesn't owe us anything, does he? God does not owe us his love. God does not owe the cosmos his love. Because the world does not share the nature of God. And so there is no connection. There is no oneness. That oneness that the Father has with the Son and with the Holy Spirit does not exist between God and the world. So that, the, that, that by nature God would, would in a way have to love the world. Because it's part of him, but it's not. And so God has no obligation to love the world, to love any one of us. It is the free will and the free act of God to be the light of the world, the sustainer of the world. In fact, the very meaning of the act of creation can only be understood, can only be found in the love of God. It is as an extension of his love, an expression of his love that God created and brought things into existence, including the world, including us, all of us. So while God does not owe us his love, he freely chooses to love us despite everything. Despite who we are, despite what we do, despite everything. We have no claim to be loved. It's not that you go to church five times and then God owes you. Sometimes I hear people saying, I've been going to church for months now and my blessing is not coming yet. God doesn't owe us anything. We have no inherent right to the love of God. But God, in his free will, in his free act, loves us. And that is absolutely awesome. And he will not stop loving us no matter what. We can turn our back to him. We can curse him and and deny him and reject him all the way to the end. And he still will 
love us because that's the way God is. But let's make no mistake, the darkness of this world will indeed be judged. That's what Jesus said in this passage that we just read in John. But not because God rejects the world, rather because God loves the world. If anything, it is the world that rejects God, and it is the world that calls for its own judgment. But you see, the passage is not just about the love of God, is it? The passage is about judgment too, because the love of God is not separate from his action and his being, and therefore he carries judgment along with it. The love of God is manifest in action, in an expression of the very being of God, and therefore it manifests it itself in judgment as well as Jesus pointed out. So what is the judgment? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus teach in this passage here in John chapter 3 and verses 14 to 21? What did Jesus teach about judgment? Notice that, first of all, we see that God did not send the Son, Jesus Christ, to judge the world, but to save it. Well, that's interesting. Because we always have this idea being thrown to us that God is a judging God, that Jesus Christ, in a way, came to judge. In fact, if you hear the way that people preach the gospel, I had people stop attending church because we did not put enough emphasis on hell. Because their view is that if you don't understand hell, you don't understand the gospel. And I'm thinking, what in the world does that have to do? Because they said, well, if you don't realize that you are going to hell, then you can't realize the benefit of Christ's sacrifice. So I look at scripture and I see a passage like this, and I don't find that in there. What I don't find in there is a God who is a mean Zeus that wants to cast everybody in hell, but then here comes the son, Jesus, and says, okay, daddy, come on, settle down. All right, take it easy. Here, you really want blood? Take my blood. I don't find that. What I find scripture portraying is that Jesus Christ is the perfect expression of the love of the father. The father who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. But God did not send the son to judge the world. God did not send the son so that you can be whipped if you don't do the right things. God sent the son, Jesus Christ, to save the world. That's quite different. The next thing we find is that if we believe in the Son of God, we are not judged. Okay, look at it again, and you'll find that. Where? Well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, right? He who believes, in verse 18, who believes in him is not judged. Can it be more clear than that? But why is that? Why is that that we hear people saying, well, that, that's not just it. If you act this way, behave that way, do this or do that, jump through that loop or don't jump through the other loop, then you're going to be not judged. We hear that all the time, but that's not what, what Scripture says. Scripture says if we believe in Jesus Christ, we're not going to be judged. Now, it also says that those who do not believe have already been judged. Why would that be the case? Well, because they chose to love darkness instead of light. They chose to love their sinful ways and the world instead of God. It's their choice. And they continue in their evil deeds. Notice that this is a matter of responding or not responding to the love of God expressed in the sacrifice of the Son. Because if we believe in the Son that the Father sent, that means we understand and accept that sacrifice. We respond to the love of God expressed in that sacrifice and, and we realize that we belong to God. We are His. And so we give ourselves to Him and that's the act of giving is an expression of the love of God in us and through us. But if we don't, 
believing that, that we don't accept the love of God expressed in the sacrifice of, of Jesus Christ, and, and that we don't respond to that, and we don't give of ourselves, which is the, the opposite of what the love of God would want us to do. And we live for ourselves, and we live for the world, we live for pleasure, we live for all sorts of different things that we think we can gain, not knowing that we lose it all. Those who are given to evil practices, said Jesus, don't like the light because it exposes them. Well, yeah, the love of God is not going to be changed. God himself is not going to be changed by our behavior. And God will continue to love us regardless of what we do. But loving us means that he's going to push us in the right direction, in the direction of what is good for us. His love means that he loves us too much to allow us to destroy ourselves. And so he's going to continue to push us toward our good. But if we don't want to go there, how do we experience that love? We experience that love as an opposing force because we're going the wrong direction. It's not because God changes and instead of loving us, now he hates us. It's because God continues to love us and because he loves us, he keeps pushing us toward our good. But as we go the opposite direction toward our destruction, then we experience that love as an opposing force and we don't like it. But those who are practicing the truth, and by the way, would you notice that he's not talking about just knowing the truth? Jesus says those who are practicing the truth. They desire and appreciate the light because it manifests their works as being accomplished in God, not on their own, but in God. So judgment is not a matter of works. It's a matter of relationship with God through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. It is a relationship based on belief and acceptance of a precious gift that God has given us his very son. Judgment is not based on who God loves and who he hates. And I am sorry for those who are hyper-Calvinists who say that God, that Jesus Christ was given only for a few people, only for the elect. He didn't die for everybody, he only died for those that he chose. Because scripture says he died for all. Judgment is not based on who God loved and who he hated. Because in his divine freedom, he has chosen to love a world that is hostile against him. He doesn't hate anyone. He hates sin, but he doesn't hate anyone. It is because of that love that God has revealed himself. And that is expressed by John as being in the term, the light. He is our light because he reveals himself to us. And as he reveals himself to us, he reveals to us life the way it is intended to be. Life the way it should be. In Jesus Christ, he did not re reveal only the Father. He also revealed what being humans is all about. Because Jesus Christ is the perfect human, the human model. In him, and only in him, we understand not only God, because he is the perfect image of a father, but we also understand humanity, because he is the perfect image of a human. And it's only in him that we find that. Because everywhere else you look, you don't find a perfect image of what being human is. And it is because of his love that he has revealed himself and he has revealed to us what humanity is all about. And he has given us the opportunity to enter into an eternal relationship with him that starts now and will continue forever. And yes, one day in that relationship, we will not have the hindrances that we have today. We'll be free from all these burdens that we carry today, all these distractions. One day we'll be free from them, but our eternal relationship with God is present now. It starts now. Now those who accept that invitation to fellowship and communion, then they are in the light. That means they are in God. They are in Christ. 
and live in him, and they are not judged because the Son of God has given himself for them, and in Christ they are righteous, in Christ they are pure, in Christ they are okay. They are not judged because there is no judgment in Christ, because he did not come to judge, he came to save. But those who reject that relationship also reject the gift of the Son, and as such they choose to remain in darkness. And although God loves them still, they hide themselves from that love, and they turn their backs to it, and as such they have already pronounced their own judgment to remain in the dark. And so in the dark they do remain. Now, I don't, I don't know if that's really apparent as yet or not, but do you notice how different the gospel as expressed in the word of Jesus Christ is from what we normally hear? You notice how different it is and how the fire brimstone type of scary tactics that were particularly typical in the 19th century in the preaching of those days, and they're still present today, are not found in there. So then the question should be, the question should be asked, what, what does the gospel sound like? What does the gospel really sound like? Based on the teachings that we just read, based on the teachings that we just explained from the, word of, the words of Jesus Christ, as he was still talking to Nicodemus and sharing with Nicodemus the gospel, the need of a new birth that is brought about by what? A relationship with Jesus Christ the only begotten Son who was given for us, who gave himself for us. What does this gospel sound like? So here it is. God loves you so utterly and completely that he has given himself for you in Jesus Christ and has pledged his very being as God for your salvation. And as shocking as it may sound, that means that God loves you more than he loves himself because he gave himself for you. You don't hear that very often. In Jesus Christ, God has brought about and expressed his unconditional love for you once and for all. He cannot go back upon it. In order to go back on that gift, he would have to undo the incarnation. He would have to deny himself because he acted out who he is in that act of love. And so he would have to deny himself and undo and reverse the incarnation. But he's not going to do that. It's not going to happen. And so he brought about and expressed his unconditional love once and for all. And it's there. And nothing and no one, not even our rebellion, can take it away. Now Jesus Christ died for you and for me precisely because we're sinful. And precisely and exactly because we are utterly unworthy of him. That's why he had to die. He has already made us his own before and independently from our ever even believing in him. He didn't die for us only because we believed in him, because we didn't. He died for us regardless of that and before that. In fact, before humans were even created, God had already determined that he will give his only begotten son for us. He has bound us to himself by his love in a way that he will never let us go. No matter what, he will never, ever let us go. The words, I will be with you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, but I will be with you all the way to the end. And not just for righteous people, because there is no such thing in the world. Because everyone is a sinner. God pronounced those words to sinners. For sinners. Because he loves us that much. And his love will never cease. Regardless of the way we respond to him, his love will never cease. It's relentless. Because it is who he is. And for, us, for him to stop loving us would, need, would mean to deny who he is. And he's not going to do that. Therefore, because of that, then we should repent and believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. 
From beginning to end, Jesus Christ has acted in our place in the entire range of our human life and activity. All of it. That's why Paul insists and stresses so much that our life is in him. In fact, in one point he says it's hidden in him. Do we realize that Jesus Christ has believed for us? The only reason we can believe is because of his presence in us. The only reason we can believe is because of his faith given to us by and through the Holy Spirit. He has believed for us. He has believed for you. He has fulfilled our human response to God. In his righteousness, we share in that response. In our communion with him, in our oneness with him, we share in that response. But he has already fulfilled the perfect response of humanity to God in himself. He has even made our personal decision for us. Now, this doesn't take away our choices. But the only reason we can make a decision is because of him. Without him, we have no choice. Without him, we would have no choice. We would have no decision to make. And so when we make our decision, we participate in what he decided so that he acknowledges us before God and not as the way he presents us to God, not as the way he acknowledges us to God. He has already responded to God in him. I'm sorry, we have already responded to God in him. That's how he presents us to God, as having responded properly to God in him, as having already believed in God through him. And Scripture says in Ephesians 5 that he presents us to the Father pure and immaculate. Pure and immaculate how? In him. Because our personal decision is already implicated in Christ's self-offering to the Father. So that in Christ, we are already accepted by God. We don't have to earn that acceptance. We don't have to work it out. We don't have to do anything to be... We are already accepted by God in Christ. So because of that, we are called to renounce ourselves, to give up on ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's because of that. Doesn't that sound different? Where is the beating on the head type of gospel here? Where is the type of gospel that says you are bad, you are evil, and if you don't repent, God is going to hate you? Where is the gospel that says if you really want to be saved and spared, then you have to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 20, 1,000, whatever. The gospel we find in Christ is included in those words that he uttered on the cross. It is finished. Do you realize that? It is finished. It is done. You are in. You are accepted. You are acceptable to God in Christ. So what is the proper response to that is for us to say, thank you, Lord, and accept that gift and participate in that gift. And because of that, we give up ourselves because we find our security, we find our meaning, we find our joy, we find our love, we find our life, we find our existence, we find the meaning of what it means to be human, if we find everything in him, because he is all things to all people. And so we respond to that. And because of that, we say, Dad, change my heart. Change who I am. Make me like you. And Dad says, I've already been working on that, but I will keep working. Don't worry, you'll be all right. Because I already have your white stone with your name engraved on it. And I'm waiting, looking forward to the day when I can give you that new name and present you, announce you to all creation. A creation is going to jubilate. The creation is going to sing with joy and is going to be transformed because of the work that God has done in us and through us. That's the gospel. And it's quite a difference. 
is so liberating. It takes the burdens from our backs and puts them back where they belong, on the foot of a cross. It takes the legalism and the works and everything else, and it takes our failures, and it takes our shortcomings, and it takes our weakness, and dumps it at the foot of a cross, and it causes us to have, what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? You need to be born again. To have a new birth, a new existence, a new life, that is not for ourselves, and is not in ourselves, but it is in Christ and for Christ, and so to echo the words of the Apostle Paul, the life I now live is no longer I who lives it, but Christ who lives in me, because he gave himself for me. That's the gospel, right there, from the word of God. That's what it's all about. It's not about fighting. It's not about fighting against ourselves and fighting against all our obstacles and things. It is, to, it is surrendering those things to God. It is abandoning ourselves. And as we abandon ourselves, we abandon our ways as well and are renewed in Christ. And in Him, we become new and completely transformed. Even though we don't see the finish, the end product of that transformation, we are being transformed even now as we surrender to Him out of what? Out of a response to that amazing, immense, awesome love that says, you know what? You're already included. You're already part of a team. And you know what? If anything, I would love for every single one of us to experience and to feel that hug that God is giving us right now. That hug that says, what are you talking about? I already love you. How do I have to express my love for you? After all I've gone and done and shown you, what more should I give you to express that love? Come, and he gives us a big squeeze and he says, do you realize you're already in? You're not outside of those pearly gates trying to find a reason to get in. I brought you in a long time ago. You are in already, but I'm still doing some work in you, if you let me. My work to be performed in you is through your surrender so that I can be manifest in you, so that my presence in you can be made alive and made me manifest, and you will see that when you surrender yourself to me, I will change you, I will transform you, I'll make you like I am. And that day will come when all that transformation, when all that change will be reflected in that new name that only you know, because God is going to reveal it to you. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, please forgive us. Forgive us for our attempts to be our own messiahs. Forgive us, Father, for our own attempts to change ourselves in our own ways. Forgive us for all the struggle that we put ourselves through to do something that is impossible for us to do. And Lord God Almighty, we ask you that you will please transform us through your presence and through your work in us and through that love that you pour out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We ask you that you change our hearts and transform us into your perfect and beautiful and awesome image. We are yours, and we give you praise and thanks for that. And we surrender to you, and we ask you that your life in us may be manifest, that your light in us may be shining through in this dark world, and that we may be beacons of that righteousness, of that love, of that grace that you are. We praise you, we thank you. Thank you so much for including us in the oneness and the fellowship and the communion that you have within yourself in the person of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We thank you so very much for that giving of yourself that makes it all possible. And we thank you for creating us to have a relationship with you that will never end. And we say, yes, Father. We say, yes, we are not our own, we are yours. We say, yes, because we accept your gift and we accept your grace and love. We say, yes, because we want to surrender ourselves and be yours. This we ask and pray and thank you for in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen.